I sold over the course of this last six months. Hold on. Are you ready? You ready? 50 copies. There we go. 50 50 big ones. And so for my $22,000 investment, I've made 500 bucks. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risks, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To reduce risk in your life, go to myworstinvestmentever.com today and take the risk reduction assessment I created from the lessons I've learned from more than 500 guests. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Rick Gilbert. Rick, are you ready to join the mission? Looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it, too. In fact, we just had an interesting conversation before we turned on the, uh, about some of your interviews, and I'm looking forward to learning more about you. But let me introduce you to the audience. Rick Gilbert is the retired founder of Power Speaking Inc., one of Silicon Valley's most successful communication and training companies. Prior to founding PSI in 1985, Rick was a psychologist and held management positions at HP and Amdahl. Rick is an author of several books and performs one-man shows, bringing alive the stories in his books. His latest book is an audiobook sharing our stories, featuring interviews with 65 people, including Gloria Steinman, Daniel Ellsberg, Chris Brubeck, Anna Eshoo, and Don Garlitz. Wow. Rick, take a minute and tell us about the value that you bring to this world. <laughs> I just uh, am turning 83. And of course, over those years, I've gone this way and that way in lots of different directions. But one of the themes that has been in my life is a lot of uh, lack of self-confidence, low self-esteem as I started out. And my life started out in psychotherapy. I was in therapy when I was 16, 17 years old. And back in the 1950s, not many kids or teenagers went to therapy. And if they did, they certainly didn't talk about it. That experience helped me to understand a little more about myself and take some more risks and get a little more confidence. And as I've gone along, my business was helping people become confident as public speakers in front of meetings, in front of business settings. And so I think the theme has been, because as it was for me, how do I go from this trembling little child in the sixth grade who was so insecure to somebody who now can help other people and show some guidelines for how do you build that confidence? And my, my theme for my business is let her rip. <laughs> and, and the idea with that is, you know, we, we worry too much about what other people are going to think, or am I going to fail? I can't possibly do this. And so I'm just encouraging people to, to let her rip, go for it, damn the torpedoes. And I guess that's what I have to offer. Well, that's exciting. I love that. Let her rip. I guess you were born in 1938 then? 39. 39. Okay. So thinking about going back in time, you know, I think a lot of us, even, you know, young people today feel insecurities and those insecurities come from the environment. They come from family. They come from friends. What was it that was driving you way back in those days in the, in the forties and the fifties that got you to a point that you were feeling not that confident? You know, because uh, psychologists always talk about nature nurture, you know, is it is it genetics or is it your environment? 
and I don't know about the genetics part, although I'm 83, so I must have be doing something right in, in the genetics part. But I think both my parents were insecure. They, there was an alcohol problem in the family. My father lived through the de- depression, and he talked to me about that all the time. It was always that you don't you don't appreciate the value of money. And my mother was very insecure about what other people thought about her. And so I guess I took all that in, and I became unsure of myself quite a bit uh, because of it. Mm. And I guess when you think about it, it may have worked to help them survive at that time, but what they were implanting in you was not necessarily the tools that were going to help in the booming 50s and 60s or whatever that was as things were starting to develop in the world, and it was a very different world. Well, and, and you're right. In the 50s, it was actually one of the best times for our country ever, economically. In fact, there was a survey done said the best year in United States history was 1957. Happens to be the year I graduated from high school. <laughs> so, so maybe maybe I had a few things going for me. <laughs> it goes downhill from here. Right. 1957 was the best. What a year. <laughs> well, this is our worst investment, remember, so it's got to go downhill. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's fascinating. And could you just talk just briefly about your interviews? Maybe you could just give us a picture of that and tell us where we can get access to the audiobook and, and just give us a little bit more on that. Sure. Because I was in the speech communication business in Silicon Valley, and I worked a lot with executives. In fact, I put a book out called Speaking Up, Surviving Executive Presentations. And a lot of this was came from my doing in-person interviews with CEOs. And so I had this huge bunch of interviews that I'd done over the years. I'd been in Toastmasters for a long time. I'd been in the National Speakers Association. So I'd done a lot of interviewing. And Pretty soon, this idea came along. Somebody said, why don't you do an audiobook? I thought, well, of course. I've got these interviews there. And so I started putting this stuff together. And by the time I was through with it, I had heard from 65 different people, including the famous ones that you mentioned. But more than that, just ordinary people, musicians, athletes, doctors, even a street salesperson selling her hats on the boardwalk in Santa Cruz. I mean, just a lot of really interesting people. So what I did for the book is I took all of that together. I'm a kind of spaghetti on the wall person. I, I don't know where it's going to go until I sort of see it in front of me. And so what it turned out to be was people talking about their life experiences. The book is called Sharing Our Stories, Tales of Resilience and, and Renewal. And it's about people talking about the highs and lows in their lives. So the book is divided into childhood, adulthood, and then elderhood. And everybody comes in and says what they want to say about it. They're, they're all over the map with this. And some of the things are funny. Some of them are extremely insightful. And it's just been an honor for me to, to listen to people. You may remember a, a guy from Chicago called Studs Turkle. And he would interview people, you know, on the street. And I sort of feel like I'm a junior version of Studs Turkle. I mean, I just love pulling out my iPhone. We have these amazing, amazing tools that can let us do anything. And we just sit down with grandma or sit down with somebody you meet on the street corner and tell me about your life, what's worked, what hasn't worked, what advice would you have, the mentors you had along the way. It's just, it's been a wonderful experience. Mm. And where, where can we get access to that? At my webpage. Well, it's, no, it's not on Amazon yet. At my webpage, uh, okay. which is rickgilbert.net. Net. Okay. And I'll have that in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen, oh, so you can go there and get that. And I think my mom's 83, and she's living with me here in Bangkok, Thailand. Mm. And so I think, the, I think she's going to really enjoy that. And one last thing before we move on to the big question of the day is for those listeners out there, 
you know, hearing about insecurities in youth and all that. Truthfully, as I've gotten older, I realize we're all full of that. Even the most confident person you thought was amazing in university or high school or whatever, they were full of the insecurities. So I think that, you know, one of the lessons I've learned is what a counselor said to me when I was 17. He said, don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. And that, <laughs> helped, that really helped me to think, okay, everybody's, even me, I'm presenting a facade. You know, I'm down, I have a hard day, I feel sad, I feel depressed, I feel scared, but I'm going to show up and bring my best. And we all do that. And so the right. point is, is that never compare your insides to other people's outsides. And hats off well, to you at that age for, you know, getting that yeah. therapy. That's oh, amazing. So that fits so well. I love that, that, that quote. But one of the things I found along the way, not to bring in too much optimism into our conversation on the worst investment, but there's been a lot of research that shows that over the course of our lives, mostly as children, we're fairly happy. And then we get into the middle years and things go in the tank and we're not so happy. There's divorces and jobs and, you know, stress and pressure and kids. And, and then as we retire, we get happy again. So it's, it's a little bit like a U-shaped curve. We mm -hmm. tend to be happy pretty much in, as childhood. And then assuming you have enough money and you know, you're, not, you're not homeless, but that we think things tend to get better as we get older, which... I found quite amazing, quite interesting. It's, it's fascinating because when you think about youth, you know, really when you're very young, everything's new and, you know, you just got all this positive energy. Right. And then all of a sudden, mom and dad scream at each other or mom and dad get divorced. And it's your first time trying to handle this without the tools that we have as we are older. And it's just a, a shock to the system. No wonder, you know, we all face these things. You know, a friend betrays you and you're really hurt, and you've never experienced that before, right, and right. it sets you up. And so it, it is pretty interesting to think about kind of how, and then what coping mechanisms that you develop over time. And then I would say that, you know, to really get to actualization of kind of realizing who you are and all that, it's kind of breaking through all of those <laughs> protections and barriers and reactions that work to protect you when you were in pain at a young age, all of a sudden don't work when you're 18 or 20 or 30 or 40 and you're insecure or whatever. So yeah, yeah. I think one of the big lessons from this, and this is my thing is to everybody out there, is that everybody's insecure. I think there was another great book called Awareness by a, um, I forget the guy's name, but he was a, I think it was Catholic priest, but he said, we should really introduce each other whenever we reduce, introduce each other to each other, however we'd say that. Whenever we meet people, we should say, nice to meet you. I'm an ass and you're an ass. <laughs> Great. And on Great. that note. On that note. Well, I, I, one of the things I've thought about as you were talking was high school reunions. And I've been quite involved in my high school, Berkeley High School, 1957. And in my middle years, I mean, everybody was, you know, kind of posturing and, you know, I've got this job and I've got this money. And, and as we've gone along now, people are saying, Wow. You know, you're really a cool person. How? Why didn't I know you in high school? I'm so sorry we didn't. In fact, we have a Zoom group. We have a, every two weeks, our high school group, oh we meet gosh. on Zoom. And people talk about religion and sex and their, their children and death of their parents and, you know, what they're hoping. It's just amazing. People are opening up in our elder years in ways that we never would have done in high school. We just couldn't have done it. And it's so, 
I think all of us feel so much nurturing from this little Zoom group that we have every couple of weeks. That is fascinating. And, you know, my number one fan is listening. That's my mom. And as I said, she's 83. In fact, we've recently, she's reconnected with a friend from high school. And now it made me think, you know, they should start that Zoom group. That's a great idea. Yep. And yep. Uh, in my case, I was in high school, basically. I, I got seriously addicted to drugs and alcohol and ended up in three different rehabs Ooh. and basically missed the, the senior year of my high school. And so I kind of faded off the map and whatever people remembered of me was I was definitely least likely to succeed. And now as we get together and, and we keep in touch to Facebook group and stuff like that for high school, people are like, you're amazing. <laughs> yeah, funny how things what, change. <laughs> what do you attribute that to? What, what, was the, what helped you turn the corner? Well, I think for me, there was something going on at the time when I was dealing with my drug problem and alcohol is that was trying to raise the, the floor and force young people to suffer the consequences of their use, of their drug use. And my parents did that, and then they got me into treatment. And I went to a seven-month treatment center outside of Cleveland, Ohio, where I was living. And basically, it was a reboot. It was just like that feeling when you've just completely rebooted a computer yeah. that was really old and hanging and all that. And basically, I applied 12 steps into my life and continue to. I've celebrated now almost 40 years of sobriety. And it just, it really allowed me, it forced, they forced me to deal with every emotional baggage. Sure. Those and, programs are so powerful. Well, and, and for you to be able to talk about it so openly is also must be inspirational for others as, as well. Yeah, and when I first came to Thailand, which was 30 years ago, I was already 10 years sober, and I was about 26, 27 years old. And I didn't talk much about it. I, people just knew I didn't drink, but I didn't talk much about it because, you know, over here and in Asia in general, and I have a lot of listeners in Philippines, in Thailand, in India, and all these places, you know, the way that they handled drugs and drug addiction in the old days was just clamped down. More jail time. More, mm. more, you know, just punishment, punishment, punishment. And they never yeah. saw some other aspects of it. And so nowadays, it's definitely gotten better where people kind of recognize it. But still, it's, it's still, uh, still a yeah. lot of that stuff here. So I encourage anybody who is dealing with a substance abuse problem with their family with a friend, with themselves, just type in 12 steps, type in Alcoholics right. Anonymous, type in Narcotics Anonymous, type in Overeaters Anonymous. These types of places definitely provide some very, very sound solutions to you know, these types of problems. Well, good, terrific. So, well, now it's time to share your All worst right. investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Of course, I thought a lot about this as we got ready for the interview, and I've lost a lot of money in the stock market. I mean, a lot of money for me, not, but a lot of money. And I kept thinking, you know, what, what's the worst thing? And the worst turns out, ironically, to be the book that I'm talking to you about, my book called Sharing Our Stories, because the reason I wanted to get on your show was to talk about my book so that people would know where to get it. And I began to realize this book has been a huge investment sink. It's just been a horrible mess. And here's why. It took me about a year and a half to put it together. And I had to get lots of editors and I had to get people to help me with it. I didn't understand the technology of audiobooks and so forth. I ended up spending $22,000 on that book. 
Now, so I think, well, okay, maybe you're selling some of these books. Well, <laughs> I can sell the <laughs> I can sell the book for ten dollars online. It is a ten dollar purchase. And here's some things that I found out only after I got into this. One was every year, at least last year, there was over sixty thousand new audiobooks published. So there's some competition. I'm not well known, even though I've written some other books. I'm I'm new to the audiobook, and I'm certainly not a celebrity. And I'm up against people like Matthew McConaughey, you know, who got his new book out, and and so that's not going well. And so so hang on to your hat, Andrew. I sold over the course of this last six months. Hold on, are you ready? You ready? Fifty copies. There we go. Fifty cut. Fifty big ones. And so for my twenty-two thousand dollar investment, I've made five hundred bucks. <laughs> now, <laughs> the good news is my tax person, my CPA, she says, "Well, let's put the expenses together." So I'm going to I'm going to have some of that reduced on my taxes because I, I formed this as a real company. I mean, I've got a mm. credit card and a business license and a doing yeah. business. Act. So, so legitimately I can count the losses, but, but, you know, I was so excited about this and mm. I was so looking forward and I would send out stories to people and let them know, because these stories can be sent as small audio clips. Even some are small enough to go on an email. Yep. So something about fear or, you know, mentors or inspiration, anything. I just send these little things out. And I get wonderful reviews of mm. the 50 people who bought the thing. I know every one of them. So they're all my friends and my relatives. And I'm just trying to say, now, how do I get beyond this so that people that I, they're strangers buy this book, but the people who have bought it, they love it. I mean, yeah. the, the, re, the re, responses have just been great, but it's not going anywhere. And so the solution I came is I, I, I finally ended up putting them on thumb drives. So I've got this book on a little flash drive which is much easier for many people than trying to download it from the internet and put it on your, on your phone. So I'll just go around to people and, and give it to them. I'll just give them the, the flash drive. And then I have a little booklet called the listener's guide that tells them what it's about. <laughs> and so that's where we are with it. And you know, I'm sure, sure not sorry I did it. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from this? Years ago, I used to say, be a pessimist. And I made up this theory on my own. I said, I think pessimists are happier in life than optimists because optimists are always disappointed. Pessimists are never disappointed. <laughs> and, and damned if a couple of years ago, there was actually a psychological study done on this. It was published in some journal that said that very thing. And so I guess I would urge people to stop with the happy talk and embrace the dark side and become a bit of a pessimist. And if you still want to write your book, realize that there's most likely nobody's going to buy it. And so many people, I've been in these writing classes, people are writing their memoirs. And do you know, I, I, I had such a hard childhood and I was abused and blah, blah. And, and have you ever written a book before? No. Have you ever written an article that's appeared in a newspaper or magazine? No. And they spend years on these things and they, it goes nowhere. And it's, it's, a, it's an awful disappointment. So I guess my advice would be, if you enjoy writing, I do, then have at it, but give up the idea that anybody's going to buy it or that you're going to have any luck with it in the marketplace. The chances of you doing your memoir and that anybody's going to care about it are almost zero. Yeah, the chances of you're going to do your memoir and it's going to end up on the shelf. <laughs> like, like I have a stack of 700 books, but out of these books, there's this little, little area that I say, 
books that changed my life. Mm. And one of them is a memoir, and it's a memoir of Ulysses S. Grant. Wow. And wow. the way he wrote it and so many stuff, so many things about that, you know, my memoir is not going to be on anybody's shelf. <laughs> so maybe I'll share a couple of things. I mean, one of the things that this made me think of is, you know, when I did my first book and I wrote it and I published onto Amazon. And when I pressed publish on Amazon, I was like, done. Man, that was hard. I mean, that took me months to get this thing right and get it edited and up there, and I pressed that button, and I thought, done. And I thought, you know, I'm 95% done. Now it's just, you know, get it up on the shelf, and it'll sell. And I didn't realize it. I was only 5% done. The mm. other 95% yeah. is the yeah. marketing of it. And then you just realize, damn, you know, marketing is so hard. Right. Reach, and it's getting harder and harder to reach the market. And the, the platforms, like you say, 60,000 audio books coming at you, it is hard. So I think my first takeaway from your discussion is you know for the listeners out there when you're and it's not just a book it's your idea i got a great idea right. this is going to be right. great the point is it is it may be a great idea but if you haven't figured out a way to get it to the market you've got nothing and you've got a hobby you've got an interest that's you've right. got a passion you know that's fantastic but if you think you're going to sell it you've got to figure out how to get it to the market so that's yeah. kind of a big takeaway first of all well, I, I couldn't agree more. And and I have zero interest in learning all these social media skills. I mean, I can barely handle my email. And then somebody puts me on Facebook and I go, well, how does this work? And so, I number one, I don't want to learn it. I'm too damned old. Yeah. I'd rather stay in my garden and work with my plants <laughs> or write other stuff. And I don't have the money and I, or I don't want to spend the money to hire somebody to do it. Yep. So I have come to the conclusion that my book is going to sit on the shelf and my 50 friends are going to enjoy but the other problem is what's interesting is that a lot of people don't even know how to use a thumb drive. Mm. And, you know, especially our age, because you know, my book is really focused on the, the boomers, you know. They, yep. they, and so they look at this thumb drive and they say, well, what's this for? I say, well, now look on, the, <laughs> look, look on the side of your computer and there's a little hole in the side of your computer. Stick it in there and it'll show up on your screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yep. so I'm, I'm glad I did it. I think it's going to be great for my daughter to have years from now when mm -hmm. she said, wait, what was my dad really about? And so. Yep. And one other thing I would take away is there's a great book that came out many years ago, not, you know, maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago called The Lean Startup. And it was really about creating a minimum viable product. And it was about bringing that product out to the market. So my second thing that I take away is for the person out there, it's like, well, yeah, you know, I understand what you guys are talking about and you failed at getting it out there. You know, I'm not going to fail like that. Okay. If you think you're not going to fail and you're determined to bring your product, whatever it is, the book, your idea, you know, some customized Excel model or whatever that thing is, start bringing it to the market now. Right. Write a right. chapter, post it, share it, see what happens. And you'll get before you do the full investment. And that's what right. Lean Startup really taught me from studying that. Was that was that author Steve Blank by any chance? This was Eric, I think it's Eric Rees. Oh, okay. Or Rise. Okay. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Okay. Yeah. So because one, one, one of the CEOs we have in the book is is Steve Blank, and he talks a lot about the difference between a big company and a startup. I just thought he might. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So those are the two things. Now let me ask you. Based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action, 
would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Well, I think I mentioned it a minute ago about embracing a negative attitude, <laughs> but I think doing more homework. I, I was just so so smitten with the idea of of doing this audiobook. I have all these interviews and I'm good on the radio. I love being in front of a microphone. This is going to be a piece of cake. You know, never mind how many were published last year and what's the chances of an unknown author. So I'd, I'd say, do, do your homework. And as you say, if you're interested in a hobby and this is something you'd like to send to your friends at Christmas time or something, go for it. But be aware, you know, be aware of what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> yeah, another great book is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, where he talks about oh, yeah. the entrepreneurial seizure, when we get so excited about our idea that the world is just going to be on fire when I put this thing on right. Amazon or whatever. So right. that's another good resource. So speaking of resource, what is a resource that you'd like to recommend? Well, there's, there's a lot, but I'll tell you the one that I think made a huge difference for me. And this woman is included in my book because I interviewed her. The name of the book is Skills for Success, and it's written by a woman called Adele Sheely. Sheehy. Right. Sheehy. There's these two Sheely, one Sheely and one Sheehy. This is Adele Sheehy, and it's called Skills for Success. I read that at a time when I was leaving my career as a psychologist and going into industry with Hewlett Packard, and I didn't know anything about business. I didn't know about technology. I thought, these people are going to realize they made a big mistake hiring me, <laughs> and I read her book. And it just opened up the world to me. It, it just said, here's what you do to get, in, you know, get yourself going in a new career or, or whatever. But the thing that's really great about what she says, she says, the biggest way to predict somebody's success is whether or not they're willing to take risks. And she said, you have to take little risks before you can take big risks. But that just knocked me out. And it, it helped me a lot. But it also, it helped me understand a lot of the people that I'd interviewed. Because if you, if you look at what they'd done in life, they were risk takers. Mm. And sometimes it failed. And a lot of times it succeeded. But they, they, weren't, they weren't shrinking violets. They weren't afraid of the world. They got out there and they said, well, let her rip. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll put the link to that book in the show notes, as well as obviously the link to your website. And I suggest that the listeners go there. I'm going to go to your website and, and check it out. Please so let do. me ask you, last question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? To stop worrying about the future and live in the moment. My garden helps me do that. And I, my friends, my Zoom group, my Berkeley High Zoom group, these people that I care so much about in my life. And we all realize that we have very few years left. We're on the downhill side for sure. And just to be in the moment with people. And I end my book, in fact, by saying, imagine, imagine the two of us sitting as little children having a lemonade or sitting as adults having a glass of wine or sitting as old folks having coffee or tea and sharing the stories of our lives. What can be more magical and more growthful than that? <laughs> oh, so, so powerful. And you don't have to wait until you get older. You can start sharing those stories right now. Right. Well, listeners, so there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet taken the risk reduction assessment, I suggest right now you go to myworstinvestmentever.com and start building wealth the easy way by reducing risk. As we conclude, Rick, I want to thank you again for joining our mission 
And on behalf of A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Thanks, Andrew. You're fun to talk to. You make it so easy. You drew me out. We could have gone on for hours. Thanks. <laughs> Amen. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying thank you for joining our mission, and I'll see you on the upside.